Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm really excited to bring on Annie Henderson. She's a life coach, counselor, EFT practitioner, and coming out coach for LGBTQ plus and families struggling with their child coming out and need some guidance along the way. I'm really excited to have you on the show. So welcome, Annie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So the first question I want to ask is what's your biggest mom win of the week? Ooh, my biggest mom win of the week is... Number one, ensuring that she got all of her homework done. So she's into being a teen, but I, I guess my, my biggest win is making sure we still have time to have fun. Mm, What have you done to have fun this week? We go to the park. So I find that, you know, a lot of parents will phase that out. Like, oh, they're too old. They don't want to spend time with me, that kind of thing. And I find that the more I engage and I play, the more she wants to have fun with me. So like, we'll still read at night, you know, going to bed and it gives us all that time to connect and, and really have that quality time. Cause that's her love language. Oh, and how old is she? He's 14. Oh, wow. He's so she's a little bit taller than me now. Oh my so goodness. He's a giant kid that will still like sit on my lap and we'll chat and oh. I love it. And I'm, I'm glad I was intentional all those years. Cause I know my mom was like, you know, when she was maybe 10, she was like, Oh, she's about to be a teenager. And I was like, that doesn't mean what you think it has to mean. <laughs> She's like, we're going to be fine. <laughs> exactly. There's, I think it's either a podcast or a book or something that's like 18 summers. And you realize like Oops. how little time you have with your kids. And so really cherish every moment before they're off to college in their own mm. life. So I feel like that's amazing. I hope my 14 year old would still love to cuddle uh-huh. or whatnot. Okay. <laughs> but they're still really young, but anyway, to give a little context, tell me about your family structure. So I know you have one daughter. Give us a little background about what your family looks like. Sure, sure. So, oh gosh. <laughs> so I am divorced. I divorced my my ex when my daughter was one. And I know we'll get all into that with all my people pleasing and how I got into that situation. But this year I'll be celebrating my 10 years with my partner, Sam. We met just for, from a mutual friend and we're life partners. We're not officially married, but my daughter and Sam have the best relationships. They're both hilarious. And I love making sure they nurture that relationship and make sure they have fun as well. So it's just the three of us and a pup. We're all in the same city still as my ex and his family and my, you know, all the grandparents. So in terms of co-parenting and getting that right, (laughs) we have to kind of be intentional about having that good communication, because I know with a lot of my clients, there's a lot of conflict still and drama and anger and, and 
just hashing out things. And I am very thankful that, you know, we have very minimal disagreements. Well, on that note with co-parenting and also the the dynamic switch. So I want to talk a little bit about, I think it's like the elephant in the room here, but Sam is a female. And so you came out when your daughter was how old? She was one. So you came out when your daughter was one. How was that transition for you personally in your relationship, you personally as a new mom? And then how did you approach that with your daughter? Yeah. So (laughs) the the thing about Scarlett was she was one, so she doesn't even remember. (laughs) So the, you know, the beauty of it was me knowing, okay, she's not going to remember like our relationship at all. I'm just gonna, it's this kind of a clean slate where I'm just going to be honest with her. Like mommy's a lesbian. (laughs) This is Sam. This, and just being able to be open, which is tough for, for, other women coming out later in life. Cause a lot of times they either wait till their kids are grown, right. Wait till they graduate or they're at an age where it can make it a little more complicated, but I was going to ask, did you always know, and you kept it a secret I, or you, I didn't, I knew something was a little off and like looking back, we laugh all the time. Cause I was like, Oh, that makes sense now. When I was little. I didn't. So, and you know, I grew up <clears throat> Catholic, and just in a small town. So it was definitely, if you hear comments and homophobic comments and you're going to hell comments. So it get, you just stuff it down. My partner, however, knew when she was five. Wow. <laughs> so, so she's always like, how do you not know? And I'm like, I was just clueless. I was just having fun playing with my friends and sports and just did not get it. And was just started people pleasing at such an early age. I never really had a chance to know myself or my, even my preferences. So like a boy would ask me out and I'd say, okay. (laughs) And that came from like a a place of not even like emotional. I like you, but like uh, more of a, you said people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally think so. And you know, it's these, it's not like these were the worst people. It was, these were nice people. And I feel like I definitely connect on a level of personality and, and stuff like that and kindness, but no, it was now that I know the other side, it was totally different. (laughs) The connection, the love is totally different, but by the time I would, you know, work it up to break up with this one, then the next one would be like right after. And, you know, part of people pleasing is struggling to say no right? Being able to say yes to yourself. So I was constantly saying yes to these other people. I said yes to not going away to college because that's what the, my boyfriend at the time thought and suggested and wanted. And then I got married at 19. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. I can't like, I can't even, I can't even imagine, but I know I, I did that. And it wasn't, it wasn't a bad relationship. It wasn't emotionally abusive, physically abusive. It wasn't anything like that. We got along great in talking to other married women. It sounded almost like a normal relationship where, you know, sex isn't that great. Oh, that's normal. Um, <laughs> so I, I really picked the wrong people to kind of check in with and just mixed with me not knowing myself really. That's how it was. So it, it took me a good while before just really figuring it all out. So, and once I, once I did come out, 
it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies because I was still a people pleaser. So I jumped straight into a toxic relationship and it was worse than before, right? Because it was toxic. There was issues, there was boundary issues. And I didn't know, I, I did, still didn't know how to stop people pleasing. So and was that toxic relationship a heterosexual or was it with it was another my, woman? It was my first girlfriend. Okay. And what made you, I guess, what was that switch inside of you when you were married and you had a kid that you realized that you needed something different, that, you know, you were attracted to women and that you were not happy in your relationship in general. What switched? Yeah. So, so here's, here's the interesting thing when it comes to, I've, I've always been a collector of degrees and certificates. So my degrees were psychology and then master's in education. And then I kept going for master's in school counseling and master's in counseling, professional counseling. So right. So despite him saying not to go to college, you went all at it and got your master's. <laughs> as locally as possible. Like it was all driving. So yeah, he, I mean, he was fine with me going to college. He didn't want me to go away and live in the dorms yeah. and have that experience because he, he probably, maybe he knew I should ask him. <laughs> but yeah. So even with all of that psychology and counseling background, I was consuming it and not actually applying it to myself, right? I was using it to help others so that it wasn't until I, you know, started looking into entrepreneurship and other things that I was able to do all of that self-application on, on self-care and stuff to where finally there was just that switch and just getting to know myself. So I was busy, 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 stayed busy. <laughs> and I, I feel like a lot of, a lot of moms do that, right? We were talking about the my group in mom guilt and how moms can are pros at staying busy all the time to where having that alone time and that silence is almost uncomfortable because they're not used to it. And then sometimes when you're silent and you have that alone time is when stuff starts to come up, right? Stuff starts to kind of brew inside and you start to learn things that you didn't know before. Right. Along the lines of people pleasing, I was saying that a lot of moms are not only people pleasers with each other because they don't want other moms to judge them. You know, they don't want to be mom shamed or that if they do something, they will personally, you know, have that mom guilt. But on the other side is a lot of moms have kid guilt, like they people please to their children too. So how do you approach situations like that when you know, I mean, when you have that realization where you're answering all the questions that you have, like, oh yeah, I'm terrible at saying no, I'm doing this because, and it's always for someone else. How do people make that shift? What are questions they can ask themselves? What are maybe any actionable steps that they can take to start moving away from that in order to heal that sort of mom guilt side? Because being a mom, we were talking about, you're always <laughs> overwhelmed. You're always feeling burnt out, but why are you feeling overwhelmed and burnt out? Uh -huh. I mean, the reason why is because you say yes to everything. Like, yes, I know kids are difficult, but why are some women better equipped than others? What are they doing differently than other people to not feel that? And I think it really stems down to holding those boundaries and not pleasing everyone else and focusing on yourself. So yeah, to my question, what actionable <laughs> steps can we take? What can we look at? to combat yeah, that, yeah. that mom guilt. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. And I, and I always ask my clients this. So like the three things that we really look for. So if you're like, huh, like, am I a people pleaser? And I just posted a TikTok, and one of my friends was like, 
maybe I am. <laughs> so one of them is over apologizing, right? Saying sorry for everything. Sorry, syndrome, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and you know, it's really a problem when someone's like, why? Like, you don't need to apologize, right? When other people are trying to help you and say, like, why are you apologizing? You're okay. <laughs> Another I was one to say, is, that is what my husband, when we first met, I would apologize for everything. And he's like, I'm going to start punishing you, but like a joking <laughs> punish, like a, I'm going to give you a kiss or do something that makes me feel uncomfortable because I would say, I'm sorry all the time. Yeah. And for me, that stemmed from one being an, of an Asian background, you know, we're always there to please our elders, to please others. But secondly, I think the relationship I had was one of always pleasing. Cause I was always afraid maybe he's going to break up with me if I'm not this way. And so when I met my now husband, I was a people pleaser for sure. In that respect, I always said, I'm sorry with everything. And my husband would say, why are you saying, sorry, you don't need to, (laughs) but it's something you don't think about until you, it's like reticular activation. You start noticing it. So I like that. Yes. Yes. Just simply. So the first step is being aware, like, okay. And the thing is a lot of times people will start to be aware and then immediately they'll catch themselves and then they'll beat themselves up. They're like, oh, what's wrong with me? Stupid. <laughs> Just all the name calling other stuff that adds on that is not good either, right? We tend to beat ourselves up. Oh, so let me go back. So yes, and number two, <laughs> avoiding conflict, right? And all of these are fear-based. Like you said, fear that someone won't like you, that they'll think that you're mean. And then the other, the third one is just struggling to say no. As we had mentioned earlier, struggling to say no to people, which was a huge one I had growing up, which is why I really focused on, I need to teach my daughter this when she's young, because it was, it's so early that all these people pleasing habits start happening. So yeah, check in with your kiddos and watch. And that's why one reason as moms, we need to really get a handle on this is because they're observing, right? They're listening. Like, am I, am I supposed to over-apologize for everything too? Like what's happening? So being a great mom about that. So, all right, back to the tips, being aware and catching it. It's almost like meditation, right? When we close our eyes and of course, all the thoughts (laughs) are coming, but it's like that stream, right? Where we can kind of be observant and notice the thoughts that are coming, but we don't choose to pick them up. They just go on by. Same with that. You notice, hmm, and it's like getting a point. Oh, I noticed it, but no judgment. So then going to curiosity, like, huh, why, why did I do that? Is it like a filler, kind of like an um? Am I just saying it because I don't know what else to say? One of, one of my clients one day was drinking on our call and I was like, oh, hey, I have that same cup. And she was like, oh, I'm sorry. And I was like, hmm, <laughs> why are you apologizing for having the same cup? <laughs> yes, yes. And I want to say that like, because that one to her, I think was really like a glaring, really obvious thing to where I don't think on our calls she ever did it again. But it's, it's really cool because once you start making these adjustments, the people pleasers always have this fear, right? That people are going to leave them or abandon them or not like them anymore. But it's neat when outside people can start to see the shift, like you're starting to shift and work on these people pleasing things. And then people from the outside are like, Hey, like something's different about you in, in, in such a good way. So it's just very validating that, Oh, okay. I'm working on this. Obviously it was shining through in a certain way. And now it's starting to transform and look different. So such, such a beautiful thing, but yeah, being aware is that first step and watching 
what happens? Like, do I immediately start beating myself up for that (laughs) as a default? Or can I just be curious and look at why am I needing to do that right here? Hmm. And those are just the best initial steps to take. I'm curious. Why did she apologize for having the same cup? (laughs) What what was the, like, what was the deep down seated fear she had? It was just habitual right? She had been doing it for so many years and decades. And that's the thing. A lot of us have been people pleasers for decades. I I had, right? It was <laughs> more than 10 years. It was decades. And to where it just... It just comes out. I, I have some some other close friends that are counselors that would do the same thing. Like I ended up holding a door for somebody and they had already gone through and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Like that's not yeah. wise. Well, I was thinking about like even when we're like teaching our children, and so I want to ask about this. But I realize like every time like one of our kids does something, I'm like, you need to apologize. Like, say I'm sorry. But then I wonder if that's like putting in their heads. Like every time I do something, I just say I'm sorry, and it has no meaning behind it. It's like it's just another idiom or whatnot that they mm-hmm. say. It's like, oops, I I hit you, sorry, or I like you know took that thing away from you. I'm sorry, but then it's just a pattern that they start just saying, I'm sorry, in place of something else. And that's, that's a great point because that's maybe the bad part of saying sorry and then leaving it that right. Because if, for example, on the call with the, with the drink, if she had said, I'm sorry and followed it up with why, like she couldn't have followed it up. That might be how you know that it makes no sense to say sorry. So for like, when I was a teacher and a school counselor, my students in my class and even my daughter, like, just saying sorry, that's like, you know, good for like a one-year-old or a two-year-old. Like past that point, you start adding a little bit more, more like, I'm sorry, are you okay? So adding a little more empathy in it, or I'm sorry, this happened. So uh, just being able to add to it and being able to catch, help them catch when that wasn't something that you needed to apologize for. Right. So you were talking about how you were teaching your daughter at a young age, not to you know, how to say no and how not to people, please. What were some of the kind of things that you did with her or that you helped to teach her? Yeah. So I think earlier we were talking, I mentioned the book, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz and going through that book. And that was that part of that was more recent, but talking about simple things like not taking things personally. I don't know if you've heard the phrase or seen, I got her a shirt also that said like, not my, not my circus, not my monkeys. Have you heard that one before? No, I haven't, but I like that. (laughs) Right. Just because daddy's upset or just because mommy's upset or your teacher, it doesn't have anything to do with you. Right. They have their own baggage. They have something they could have brought from school, like from home or They had a call on the way over or, you know, a near accident, all those things that play into that. And just realizing that locus and that circle of control, I'm in control of my, my actions and my thoughts and my feelings. And that's it. (laughs) That's it for me. And just, I feel like it empowers them at a a young age. Like, yes, we, we want to speak kindly and we want to do all these things and be responsible for our actions, but we are not in charge of pleasing people, right? We're not in charge of saying yes to all these people. And that's, that can get tricky, right? Because I feel like it's recently come up maybe over the past couple of years about having kids automatically hug their grandparents or any adult, right? 
and for them being to be able to say like no that doesn't make me comfortable like no thank you right and then well i we learned about that in preschool actually it was if your kid says no i don't want to facetime right now or no i don't want to hug but then we guilt them into, but it's going to make grandma very sad if you don't do that, that that is something wrong and that we should not be doing that. But then on the flip side, I don't know how to then react or talk to them. Like, I don't know how to then, I guess maybe that's in my own head, please the grandma because they don't want to hug them. And how do you just say, I'm sorry, he doesn't want to do that right now tough luck. Like, I don't know. (laughs) And so that's that's... where then I think my own mom, people pleasing, like, oh my gosh, they're going to think we don't raise our children well, because, you know, they're not nice to the elders or something like that. And then we go through that own parental cycle of guilt. Yes. Yeah. We're that, (laughs) we're also the sandwich generation, right? Where we're trying to teach new habits and then deal with the parents that taught us all these other bad habits. But of course, when our kids grow up, they'll, they'll have their own complaints about us. But yeah, that's, that's true because my mom's the same way. She struggles with all of those four agreements and being able to, so like this morning, this is a a live in action due to COVID my daughter's having, you know, a, a musical, but only immediate family can come. And, you know, we had to tell the grandparents (laughs) and that's like their whole life. That's what they live for. They're retired and it's grandkids time and just all the upset and resistance and paranoia, whatever that comes with that. And just, we have to, as parents realize that's not on us. We can only tell them what's going on. And are you familiar with the book Untamed by Glennon Uh, Doyle? Yes, definitely. Yes. So I don't know if you remember the the chapter about the island where she has, they have their island and it's their, you know, their safe space, their safe bubble of these are the rules and this is what's going on with my family and with boundaries, right? We can lower the drawbridge and let someone on <laughs> and then we don't have to. Like if, if people aren't understanding, it's not necessarily our job to have to reteach our parents. My own mom would say, like I'm too old to change. Oh, I hear <laughs> that <not>. too. Yes. <laughs> yes, you're not, but but if that's, you know, if that's the stance I in terms of my own energy, right? I can only attempt to help in that area so much and then she gets to stew in her unhappiness if she's upset about a certain thing and I can detach and go live my happy life and it's okay. We don't have to please our, our mom and everyone else with, with Brene Brown. She talks about the post-it note mm-hmm. and writing on that post-it note, only the people that you want, not want to please, but you know, that have that importance in your life that you value their, their thoughts and opinions and we value theirs. And it's just a mutual thing, right? We're both growing at the same pace. And then if they're not on that post-it note, you're not, you're not going to worry about people pleasing. Yeah. So speaking of which, how did that go about with your own mother when you (laughs) decided to come out and how was her reaction, your relationship? So she was doing really well because she was a new grandparent. So that's always good. (laughs) Butter them up a little. (laughs) Yes. But I, I was, this was over a decade ago now. And I, for her, I hand wrote a note, the slowest possible method of mailing something and getting her the information. 
and I knew, I knew, you know, her style, it was going to take a little bit of time. I also had a strong feeling that she would come around because her granddaughter, she would want to see her first grandbaby. She also has a lot of fears, right? Which as people pleasers, we have fears and we have to realize that everyone else has the same fears. So hers were less of fears, maybe that I'm going to hell, but probably more of like, what does that look like? Or, you know, a lot of times when, when kids come out, their parents are worried how they're going to be treated. Like, are people going to be mean to you? Are you going to, you know, at that time, are you going to lose your job? Are you going to all of these horrible things that could happen, right? And with with coaching, we talk to a lot of our clients about not living in that what if, the negative what ifs, because that's just borrowing anxiety. So I just wrote out in my letter, all the stuff that I knew if I had the in-person conversation, I would either get choked up <laughs> and wouldn't be able to finish, or maybe she would interrupt or get upset herself and not, maybe I'd get sidetracked. So I took the time and I wrote it out and explained that, you know, nothing really was going to change about me except for, you know, the person I love. I was still myself. I was still athletic. I was still Scarlett's mom. I wasn't going to have tons of bumper stickers all over my car. (laughs) That's just not who I was. Not that that's not okay. Go for it. But for me that, and I knew those were some of her fears and I knew that was some stuff that I could kind of explain to her. And she adores Sam. Everyone adores Sam. (laughs) Sam's amazing. Even my 99 year old grandmother, she passed away last year, but she was born in 1920. She, you know, she's been through everything (laughs) and she still loved Sam would give Sam the biggest hugs. You know, we built a house together. We still live in that small community, but I were involved in our church. Right. And I think a lot of people, once they see you being happy, right. And not living in fear and not trying to people please. And they can see you living authentically, then they feel better. And they see that, Oh, okay. You're, you're gay and nice. (laughs) You're gay and a Christian. Like it kind of blows their mind a little bit. And then hopefully, right. It makes them feel a little better that, okay. I had, I had a mom reach out to me after I did a podcast telling my story. And she just reached out to me and said, you know, I feel so much better because, you know, you are living your life. You're happy, you're successful. And that's after coming out and doing all those things. And on TikTok, I'll talk a lot about checking all the boxes. I did all those things. And a lot of people that are in the closet do of get married. We have kids, we build a house, we get a degree, we have a career, and then we're still not happy. And coming to that realization and the fact that it's, it's an awakening, right? And I think that's like with anything in life, whether it's coming out, if you're not happy, then figure out why not. But I also love to your point when you said like borrowed anxiety, but when you are living authentically like that, you now can borrow that calm from other people. People around you are going to be happier and more optimistic. And because you're not, you're not alluding that like anxiety and the tense and the fear and stuff like that. So it helps people around you. But I wanted to ask just, I mean, a personal question, you know, being in the environment and in Christianity, talk to me a little bit about like, how is that? And I know you started a Facebook group with your pastor yeah, and it's all for LGBTQ. And so what are you doing with that? How are you helping people through that? Are you helping parents? Are you helping people come out? Like, what is, what does that look like? 
Yeah. Yeah. So, um, gosh, so I, I mentioned I'm, I'm on TikTok and there's, which is of- a whole nother thing where I'm like, <laughs> how does your daughter feel that you as a mom are on TikTok? Cause so- I'm already getting shit from people. I just joined t- TikTok actually thanks to you a week ago. And my friends are like, what are you doing? Like, you're too old for this. Like what? <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And it's just, I mean, for mine, it's, almost purely business, right? It's for me to reach the audience. And so my daughter isn't yet allowed on TikTok. So I, you know, I have as the school counselor growing up, I have a lot of things and requirements and luckily she's goes with it. So luckily she's not on there too. And our paths don't cross. That would be maybe a little awkward, but it's, it's just me on there. No, no big deal. I don't I don't know. No one said anything to, and I think that comes with, right. When you're only worried about doing what's good for you and maybe the people you serve, you're not worried about what other people think. And then when you're not worried about what other people think, you don't have people coming to you with those fears. I feel like when you have those fears, then that's, you're drawing that into you. Does that make sense? Yeah. So back to this Facebook group. Yeah. How do you merge Christianity and this community? What do you guys talk about in there? Yeah, yeah. So we have it's a it's for LGBT and allies. I have okay. another group that is just for because a lot of people are really scared, right? So it's safe and out is one group where it's just LGBTQIA. And then this group is LGBT and allies. Okay. So and and the purpose behind that was people from and we have people from all over the world actually in this group. And they're also supported by allies. So it's nice because, you know, we can all be in our clubs and we all agree with each other, right? But to have like the support of other allies and other church members, and we have atheists in there as well. It's so it's, it's a nice mixture. And my pastor, Abby Eccles, who I, I interviewed on my podcast, Coming Out Loved and Supported, she's adorable. She's so sweet. And she has the the purest heart. And that group, yes, my, all of my pastors from my church are in it. And again, this is a small town, Sherman, Texas. (laughs) It's not a, a big liberal city, but it, we have weekly calls to where if someone needs to hop on and get some support and ask some of those tough questions, like everyone says, I'm going to hell, like what? And then to hear it, it's one thing to hear it from me. Like I'm not a pastor. I don't have all those studies and I'm gay. So, right. If people have that gay agenda thing, they might not want to listen to another gay person, but to hear it from a straight white pastor that might check the box for them that, okay, (laughs) it's approved. And we have a variety of pastors from all over, all over Texas, maybe from, from outside of Texas as well. But, you know, just pastors. So if you have questions and we have, you know, some book studies and some devotionals that, that we can do and just kind of interact because a lot of people are in maybe in the Bible belt or maybe in these small towns where they have a lot of hate and they can't, you know, they don't know anybody like their family doesn't approve and their, their friends don't and their church has kicked them out which blows my mind. <laughs> that's, that doesn't sound like something God would want, but oh well. And to just have have that fellowship and to have a safe place where you can come and hear from a pastor that you're not going to hell. Like I've, I've had some parents of kids that have come out that they said, like, you were the first person that told me that it's okay. I could love my kid as they are. 
and then my kid isn't going to hell. And I was like, give them that support. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it's, and it's not, you know, it's not just me in there. It's because I, I offer coaching, but there's a lot of people in that group. And if you have a question for someone that's transgender, then there's other transgender members in that group. And also, you know, parents and pastors and non-binary and a little bit of everybody. So if it's, if you don't feel comfortable with me, you could talk to the pastor or to this person or this person. So it just so much support that I think is, is necessary. And I think that also is, I mean, I love that you said, because you come from a small town because I live here in Los Angeles. I live in San Francisco too. I mean, you're talking LA and San Francisco couldn't get any more liberal and open. And so for me, this is like, wait, what people, people are like that because I don't see that. And so thank you for creating that space. And especially I think for parents who might not know how to navigate, like you, you have a child and you had a child in your previous relationship beside being divorced, a single parent, and then coming out, like that is something that I think a lot of moms who are in that situation don't know how to deal with. Like, how do you co-parent when one side, you know, when you're different and so, and how do you raise a child, especially in a small town in Texas to how do you not shelter them, but like, how do you support them when maybe other people in their class aren't of that same family structure or belief? And so Uh, it's really interesting. It is, it is. And, and it's funny because, you know, I, like I said, I, I actually co-parent very well together and, but we're also (laughs) opposite political parties, opposite I guess, beliefs on heaven and hell. And, you know, that could really stress a a parent out knowing that they were, their kid was going over and might hear something completely different. So for example, like over there, they watch the news all the time. We don't watch the news. You know, if something important comes up, we'll have that conversation. So instead of constant news and noise, when something important happens, then they might listen a little bit more because, okay, we are taking the time to have this conversation. But what I learned was even though my daughter was going over there and then, you know, coming back, so it it could seem like a tug of war. She, because I was talking to her about all these important things and, and people pleasing and not, not taking things personally, all of that, it was making a really solid groundwork to where, I'm not concerned. And she, she is strong in that. And it's funny because she'll tell me about little conversations she has with her friends and she sounds like a little life coach (laughs) and she's like a, just a really mellow kiddo. So I think it's just important to, you know, even if you're co-parenting, you can still provide that peace and safety and empathy and validation that kids need. And they know that they can count on that and it won't it won't be crazy because it's going back and forth. It doesn't have to be right. A lot of people get really scared and uh, that fear that comes up for all the reasons, but it, it doesn't have to be that way. So just being intentional, like you are with everything else and teaching those important lessons starting early, right. Is important. Of course, if you haven't started early, it's not too late. <laughs> yes. And try, try reading that book too. I want to go get that. Yeah. Well, so to wrap it up, I want to ask a couple last questions. One, what is your mom's superpower that you gained once you became a mom? Ooh, so my mom's superpower is patience. 
patience and lots of fun. <laughs> so the, yeah, those are the two. And you know, my, my partner will tell everybody like, she's so patient. I don't know how she does that. So that's, that's the one. Oh, and then lastly, where can we find you, especially for those people out there who might need that support or resources? How can they either work with you or read or find your services? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So there's, yeah, there's so many places people can go and to make it nice and easy, Annie M. Henderson. And I'll link it in the short show notes too. Yeah. And then from there, there's the people pleasing group. There's the LGBT and allies group. There's my, my podcast and TikTok and all the stuff's there. If you want to set an appointment, there's a button in there. So just that one place, just my name. Well, thank you, Annie, so much for joining today. I really appreciate you sharing and being vulnerable. I loved being on. Thanks for all these really wonderful questions. Your, your audience is so lucky to have you here. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time. 